just going to do a few press-ups because I have some questions to ask you. So, how many of you have been exercising this week? Have you been doing it? Have you been, have you been exercising? How are you feeling? Are you starting to feel tired yet? <laughs> are you starting to have quivering muscles? <laughs> Was it 13? Oh, wow, weird. No, we don't stand under that in the Lord, do we? So Craig was sharing with us last week. See, I'm not even puffed. That's because, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> so those of you who weren't here, Craig used the analogy of going to the gym and exercising, um, and he compared it with, with loving people. So I was just wondering how you were doing, because loving people is not necessarily an easy thing to do. It's a little bit, uh, it stretches us. Um, like when we go to the gym afterwards, we feel a little bit tired, we start to um, feel a little bit stiff, and then we ache maybe a day or two afterwards. In my case, normally it's half a day <laughs> afterwards. Um, and I was, I was just thinking, why do we do it? You know, is love really the most important thing? Is love really something that should define us as Christians? Is it a value that we should esteem in our church? Can we be confident that, thanks Craig, um, can we be confident that that loving others really is the main thing that we should keep the main thing. So we're going to have a look at that, and we'll answer a few other questions as well in the process. I'd just like to read from uh, 1 John 4, 2 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So can we have confidence in loving others, that that really is the main thing, that we keep the main thing? And then there's a couple of other questions as well. The first one is that, can we be confident in God's love for us? Is he really a loving God? And can we have confidence that God who is invisible is living in us and we are living in him? 
there's another question that we need to gain some confidence on. And you can see how I've divided up the text accordingly. And then lastly, although we've dealt with this in a little bit, uh, 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 two weeks ago, we're going to deal with it again. Can we have confidence on the day of judgment, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns? Can we be confident in that? So let's have a look at the first one, confidence in loving others. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So we, turn, we learn two things from these verses. First of all, we learn that love is from God. So in a sense, God invented love. He was the inventor of love. He is the source of love. But then John goes even further and he says that God is love. So that doesn't mean that God is a loving person or he feels love, although those things are true. It means that he actually is love. And folks, this is um, unique to, our, to, to the God that we serve because every other religion only has a God, well, either has a multiplicity of gods or just one God. But we have one God in three persons. So God could say, I am love, because he was sharing and exchanging love between himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from eternity past, even before any of us had been created so that he could love us. So he was having a a reciprocal personal relationship in the Godhead. And so it's possible for him to say, I am love. God is love. And on the basis of this, Uh, Sorry, just to to give you that quote by Michael Reeves, love is not something the Father has, merely one of his many moods. Rather, he is love. He could not love. He could not not love. (laughs) If he did not love, he would not be the Father. So on the basis of this, some inferences. The first one, uh, these are the inferences that John makes in that particular verse. If you've been born of God, then you'll love. Love is the fruit of someone that's born of God. So God's DNA in us means that we will love. And that's why we are to love. And then he states it negatively, and I believe that he's doing this as a litmus test because there were people in the church there who were giving false teachings, and he wanted to give this as a test. And he said, a person who does not love does not know God. And so he was saying to his readers, If you see someone who claims to be a Christian but you don't see love in them, then question whether they know God. And throughout this passage, uh, John puts these little litmus tests. We'll come to another one just now and I'll I'll highlight it as we go along. So we can be confident that loving others is important because we're children of God, of a God who is the source of love and in fact, he is love. And then... You know how John doesn't have a linear argument? He keeps going back to the same things over and over. Well, if you look in verse 19, he says that we must love because he first loved us. So that's another reason why we know that loving is important. It's because he loved us first. Then here comes the second litmus test. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he can see, um, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So there's another litmus test for us. And we need to look into our own hearts as well. 
And then John finishes with the final reason for being confident that loving others is very important. Um, and it's a, a command. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And folks, I hope that these are reasons enough to convince you that loving others is essential. It really is. And even though it might be hard work, it might be painful, it might require discipline, whatever it is, going, like going to the gym, it's something that we need to keep the main thing. And that's the reason why it's one of the values that we hold as a church, one of the five values that we, we all hold to, love. So at this stage, however, you might just be wondering to yourself, well, how much does God actually love me? Perhaps you're thinking, well, it's all very well for, for, for us to say that God is love. But what does that love look like? Especially when God is invisible. I mean, we can't see him. So let's talk now about the confidence that we have in God's love for us. God is invisible, but his love for you is not. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. To manifest means to make visible. So we can be confident that it's worth being the object of God's amazing love because Jesus shows us just how amazing that love is. And not only does it look amazing, the fact that he sent his son to die on a cross for us, what it achieves is amazing, so that we might live through him. Folks, we can look forward to a prospect of an eternity with God because of the love that God showed us through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for us. But this isn't all. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or atonement for our sins. God loved you first. Isn't that amazing? When you were in rebellion to him, when you were an enemy of his, he loved you first. But how did he love us? He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. A propitiation is a sacrifice that it's made to appease the wrath of a God. So if God is directing his righteous judgment on someone, his wrath on someone, it's diverted by a propitiation. That propitiation then takes the punishment. I'd like you to just reflect on that for a moment. How many of you have been the victim of an injustice? I'd like to talk very briefly about Immaculate Ilibagiza. Immaculate was, was born in Rwanda, and she was about 21 or 22 when the Rwandan genocide broke out in 1996. So her grandmother, her grandfather, her mother, her father, and her two brothers were all killed in the Rwandan genocide. And there were between 500,000 and a million people killed in that genocide. And the reason why she survived it is because she went to her family, because she was a um, young girl in the family, they sent her to the neighbor um, who was from the tribe that was committing the atrocities um, and sent her to the neighbor and she, they asked if she could be hidden. And so he led her to a room which was uh, 1.2 meters by 0.9 of a meter in size. 
with a toilet in and a shower, as you can see. So it was about that size. Um, so she sat down in there, and she said to her neighbor, there's no way you can hide me in this. And that was when she learned the lesson that things can always get worse. Because he then sent another five women, and then later on another two women, all to hide in that same little space. I wonder if we could get eight people up here. Because I've marked out the area on the stage here. Do you have eight people up? Come and stand in this area, just to give you a sense. I'll stand here. This is like the bank. No, it's voter registration. So, her and the seven other ladies stayed in a room this size for 91 days. Thanks, guys. 91. Um, and when she came out, she, she discovered that all of those people that I mentioned earlier had been killed. And what happens when an injustice like that is committed against somebody? And it doesn't matter how big the injustice is. There's a gap that opens up between the person who's the victim of the injustice and those who perpetrated it. And the reason why we as human beings feel that gap so strongly um, is because we're created in the image of God. And God feels that injustice even more strongly. And so when we chose to live our lives without reference to Him, without taking Him into consideration, and the result of it was all of these terrible things that we see happening in the world, a gap opened up between us and Him, and there needed to be a propitiation to bridge the gap. And so God sent His only Son to die on the cross for us to bridge that gap. Now you could say to, to me, well, Ian, there's no ways I've committed anything as serious as those guys did against God. But if that is the case, why would he have had to have sent his son to die on a cross, to be tortured and to die on a cross for you? And folks, when we reflect on God's love, what he did would be a bit like, sorry, there's a photograph. What, what he did would be a bit like Immaculate deciding to sacrifice one of her two daughters in order to bridge the gap between herself and the men who committed those terrible atrocities against her and her family. I mean, it's just astounding, isn't it? It's mind-blowing that God would love us so much. We can be confident in that kind of love. And if you haven't put your, your hope and your trust in God today, a God who loves like that, then now's a good time to do it. Because this is a God, this is, this is the gift that God has given us at Christmas. Isn't it amazing? We, we, we get so much meaning out of Christmas, but I often think we're just not tapping the deeper levels. We get meaning out of Christmas because our families are together, and there's nice food, and there's time off from work. But what about this amazing gift that God sent to us in the form of Jesus? But don't miss the inference now in the next verse. Just let that sink in, folks. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And yet so often we don't. 
So we can be confident that loving others is the main thing, that we need to keep the main thing. And we can be confident that although God is invisible, the love that flows from him came in a visible manner. Jesus came and he lived on the world. But there's another crisis of confidence I'd like to talk about now um, that the invisibility of God creates. And that is, can we be confident that, that can I be confident that I'm in God and he is in me? Uh, can we be confident as a congregation that God is amongst us and we are with him when we can't see him? So look at verse 12. I, I spent quite a lot of time sweating over this. Uh, it's, it's known as a conditional statement um, to those who are in the know. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, so what I decided to do, instead of just you know, going into the logic of it and the original Greek, I'm sure you'll be very relieved to hear. I, I've just put it as a picture. There it is. Love was perfected in us in the past. And the effect of that is that we love one another on an ongoing basis in the present. And the effect of that is that God abides in us in an ongoing basis in the present. So the fact that God who, hasn't, who can't be seen abides in us at harvest is made visible by the love that we show one another. That's why it's so important for us to love one another in the Christian church. It's because God can't be seen, but when we love one another, it goes all the way back to we've been perfected in Christ. And that perfected in the past, remember I talked about the perfect tense? Well, that's what it is. It's an event that happened in the past, and it happened to us. We were born by God, perfected by Him through Christ, and the fruit of that is that we love one another, and God abides in us on an ongoing basis. But there's two other ways that we can be confident that the invisible God abides in us and us in him. Firstly, let's have a look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he's given us of his spirit. And David Pawson writes that there is a witness between God's spirit and our spirit that we are children of God. And I would look for that. I would just, you know, from time to time, just, just settle in it. Um, I do it from time to time. I just think, Lord, I just know that I'm your child. There's something, there's something about my spirit which is communicating with God's spirit, the Holy Spirit who's in me, that just gives that confirmation. I'm a child of God. Thank the Lord. And, and it doesn't need to, to come necessarily from some, from, from some sort of intellectual exercise. It's, it's just something that we, that we know spiritually. It's a spiritual thing that we know. And then the second way that we, that we know is that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And what it's talking about here is that our profession or our witness or what we say, the beliefs that we express, give people around us an indication of, of whether we are children of God or not. And so someone who declares that Jesus was the Messiah, or in the words of verse 14, the Savior of the world, then we know that they're on the right track, that they've been born of God. But if someone is saying, no, Jesus isn't the Savior of the world, or he wasn't the Son of God, or he wasn't both man and God, then we know that their testimony is not lining up with the testimony of the apostles, and it's unlikely 
that they are children of God. So just another quick test. So to summarize the basis of our confidence that God is in us and we are in him, even though we can't see him, we can see the fruit of love in our lives. That's why it's such an important thing. The Spirit gives us that inner confidence. Yes, I am a child of God. And we teach and proclaim about Jesus stuff that lines up with what John and the apostles and the Bible says about him. Let's have a look now at the last confidence that John teaches about in today's passage. It's confidence for the day of judgment. Just a quick refresher. Remember we talked about this two weeks ago. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 28. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. That's also about confidence on the day of judgment. And John comes back to the topic today because of that circular nature of his argument. Remember that we said abiding in God means living in obedience to him. So the first key to confidence is obedience. And now we discover the other key. It says God is love, and the one who abides in him, abides in love, abides in him, and God abides in him. So here, do you see that the second key here is abiding in love, which means that we're living a life that's motivated by love. And once again, the the tense and the voice of the Greek verb here make it clear that abiding in love is the effect of something that God did to us when he gave birth to us as his children. So if you want to see the invisible effect of being born again by God, then look for whether you're abiding in love. And we need to look amongst us and know that we're a church that is abiding in love. And if you are abiding in love, then you know that God has changed you on the inside and you can have confidence on the day of judgment. What is the source of this confidence? Well, you can see it there. We're acting in a loving way on earth just as Christ did because as he is, in other words, loving, so also we are in this world. Folks, I'd like to close um, with a story Uh, Last year, uh, a man died in in prison in New York State because he'd committed a murder in 1964. It was a very famous uh, murder because uh, what was so shocking about it was they estimate that maybe 60 or 70 people knew that the murder was taking place, but they didn't do anything about it. And the lady who was murdered was a lady called Kitty Genovese. This was on March 13, 1964. She came home at about 2, 2.30 in the morning um, in a place called Kew Gardens in New York. And uh, a man had followed her, and as she left her car and approached the building, uh, he ran up and stabbed her twice in the back. So she screamed out, and she said, help, help, he's stabbing me. And there's a lot of different takes on the situation, but what they do know is that a whole number of lights came on Um, indicating that a whole lot of people had heard her cries for help. But nobody came down. And what happened was the man ran away when he saw the lights come on, and then when he realized that nobody was going to come down, he came back 10 minutes later and he completed the murder. The thing about us, folks, is that God did come down. He came down to the earth. 
Yeah, people, the reason why people didn't come down on that occasion was either indifference or it was fear. I mean, this guy's armed, he's got a knife, he's stabbing a woman. I'm not going to go down. But God did come down. He came down and he sent his only begotten son to bridge that gap that exists between us and God. And folks, this is love. Isn't that an amazing Christmas gift that he's given us? And doesn't that make you want to be a loving person? Does it make it worthwhile for all the sweat and tears of what it takes to actually be loving to people? Sometimes it's, it's, it's not a lot of fun. And the only thanks that we get is from the invisible God. <laughs> you know that part in Scripture where it says, um, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, you don't get the reward on earth, you get it in heaven because your father who sees what you do. And that's why we do it. We want to be like him. We've got his seed in us, John says. We carry his DNA. It's the family likeness. You know, just in the same way as when I walk, my feet stick out. People always used to um, laugh at me at school because my feet stuck out like that. But that's because my dad's feet stuck out and his dad's feet stuck out. It's the family likeness. And we're talking about love here and we need to, we need to share it. Shall we close? Father, we thank you so much um, that you came down. You heard our cries for help and you came down. Um, but you came down in such a, wow, just such a mind-blowing way that you sent your son, your precious son, to come and bridge the gap between yourself and people who, who had hurt you deeply. And yet you did it. And Father, I, well, I just continue to put out the invitation to you folks, if you don't know the love of God, if you don't have that witness in your spirit that says, yes, I, I know him, I'm a child of his, then you come, and, come and chat to myself or Craig, just come forward at, at the end of the service um, because you can, know this, you can know this God. You can know this love. He's an amazing father. It's so true that it, the Bible says that he is love. How could he be anything else when we see what he did for us? And Father, for those who, who, well, most of us, in fact, all of us, Father, I think, who are still learning how to love other people, please just empower us and inspire us by your Holy Spirit to be more loving, to live out that change which it always, has already happened inside of us. Lord, help us to, to, to do the hard yards, to, to sweat it out a bit this week um, when it comes to loving other people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.